Welcome everyone to another episode of Security DNA produced by SecurityInfoWatch.com. I'm John Doberstein, Managing Editor of Security InfoWatch and the host of this podcast. The editors here at Security InfoWatch plan to utilize this podcast to provide detailed, actionable information of value to security professionals. This will include industry news, trends and analysis, technology solutions, policy risk analysis, and management. For this episode, I have with me my colleague and host, Steve Lasky, who is Editorial Director for the Security Group at Endeavor Business Media. Steve will be talking today with Tony Gallo, a managing partner with the Sapphire Risk Advisory Group, and Jeff Bartley, a Senior Asset Protection Consultant with Sapphire. Sapphire Risk Advisory Group is considered one of the top security firms in the cannabis industry. Tony is considered by many as the OG of cannabis security in this industry that he entered in 2013. He has worked with over 600 cannabis clients in 35 states and Canada and spoken at over 100 cannabis business conferences across the U.S. He's considered one of the leading security authorities in the state-city application of license process, physical security build-outs, and standard operating procedures, and he's helped open more than 1,000 high-risk businesses in the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. Tony's been a senior executive for over 30 years, possessing strategic and tactical security experience in the multi-unit retail industry with companies like Sears, Federated Department Stores, and Easy Corp. Tony received his Bachelor of Science in Criminal Justice from New Jersey City University and is a published author on security and safety planning. Tony was recognized this year by High Times Magazine's 100 Most Influential Cannabis People. Jeff has been involved for over 27 years in the asset protection field focused mainly on high-risk retail and logistics. Jeff oversees all of Sapphire's Phase 3 services, which include safety and security training, SOPs, comprehensive risk assessments, and exception analytics. And with that introduction, Steve, let's turn it over to you. Thanks, John. I appreciate the uh, introduction here for our guests. Uh, Well, Tony, John, I appreciate you both being here. Uh, The cannabis space is certainly something that... uh, the Endeavor Security Group has been playing in now for almost four years. Uh, we uh, had looked to get a uh, cannabis security event off the ground uh, right when COVID started. Uh, and uh, we have been working ever since to do that. We are hosting a uh, cannabis security breakfast panel at the upcoming uh ISCE show at uh, Jacob Javits Center in New York, and that's going to be on January 15th, the morning of, uh, 8 o'clock in the morning to 9.30. It will be a panel discussion between with experts uh, in the field and hopefully some end users, and I will be the host to that. And uh, we're happy to have Tony as one of our panelists on that. We'll also have Tim Sutton from Guidepost Solutions. So, uh, you know, guys, I'm I'm anxious to get the conversation started, especially knowing that when you're designing a successful disp- a dispensary, it can be a really challenging uh, endeavor, especially in, in the location where it might be a high crime area, uh, which makes that task even more difficult. 
And, you know, since it's not always possible to attain property in a low crime area, uh, especially when you're trying to open up a uh, cannabis facility, uh, given the, the market conditions, zoning laws and other factors, uh, dispensary owners usually have got to mitigate additional risk associated with high crime areas through smart facility design and effective security strategies. Uh, but depending on the on the area, it's tough to ensure that a st- store is going to be well protected while still inviting the customers. And I think, Tony, uh, John, that's the big uh, the big caveat there is, you know, with potential customers, uh, if they're hesitant to come into your cannabis dispensary, if it's designed like a prison with walls and security guards. Uh, but at the same time, how do you make it look, you know, like a Fifth Avenue jewelry store Uh so it's inviting, but also secure. So Tony, uh, Jeff, I, I believe as, as we've talked a little bit about your first line of defense in any cannabis operation, whether it's a, a grow facility or dispensary is gotta be the people that are involved because it's such a, a volatile industry. It's, uh, one that, uh, the regulatory aspects and compliance are very high. And uh, so you need to make sure you've got the right people working. So I think today we want to discuss some of the industry trends and also the technologies that are driving security, compliance, and uh, retail loss issues in the cannabis uh, dispensary industry. But Tony, let's let's kick off the conversation. We were discussing a little bit about uh, the broad depth uh, and uh, length of service that both you and John have gotten re- in retail security, uh, close to you know 55 years plus in the retail space. And uh, you bring a little different spotlight and a, a slant into retail security uh, vis-a-vis the, the cannabis space. Discuss a little bit about you know what cannabis security, uh, and, and cannabis uh, design should look like from a retail perspective compared to uh, conventional retail spaces. You know, you had a very uh, good comment when you were just speaking about comparing it to a or a Fifth Avenue jewelry store, not wanting to look like it's a prison that you're into, walking into. And, you know, We've been in the high-risk retail industry for uh, over 20 years, and you know that's uh, that's any kind of retail business that has a high amount of cash and a very desirable piece of merchandise. So, uh, jewelry stores and uh, gold and firearms uh, uh, and gun stores and liquor stores, convenience stores. Uh, um, and then the cannabis industry, and they're very similar. You know, like they, we call it the you know uh, uh, the big four, where you know you're, you're talking about jewelry, firearms, uh, pharmaceutical, and then the cannabis. And you look at them in a very similar way. But you mentioned how do you make a store like a cannabis location where you're selling a, a product that can be easily sold on the street compared to a bicycle store? How do you make it inviting for people to come in? but also have that level of security that you're looking for. And uh, when you mentioned uh, Fifth Avenue Jewelry Store, that's exactly what we're trying to do in these dispensaries is 
provide that level of security that you need because of the, the large amount of cash and the desirable piece of merchandise that can be sold, but also have that level of security involved, much like you would see in high-risk retail stores as a jewelry store, say, on Fifth Avenue would have. So a lot of times we'll look at that design of a dispensary in that mentality as as retail, understanding that obviously there's different nuances to that, uh, but a lot of the times, a lot of the a lot of the security that goes involved, the physical security, the cameras, the video, the alarms, the access control, plus the employee training, robbery awareness, cash management, and all that, a lot of it is taken from mainstream retail. If that makes any sense? Oh, most definitely. Uh, Jeff, you know, I, I kind of let you kind of uh, double down on that. Although, you know, you're dealing in a, in a, in a high-risk, high-value commodity uh, in a cannabis dispensary, uh, I, I, there, there definitely is, I guess, the one elephant in the room is you're dealing with a cash business, which makes it even more volatile than the other high-value uh, retail uh, facilities. So speak a little bit about uh, to, that, to, that, to that subject on why a cash-only business brings even more risk and p- potential volatility to uh, protecting, uh, you know, both assets and people. Well, I uh, appreciate the question. Thanks, Steve. And, and you know, if you're a, a, a criminal out there in the world and you're looking for, let's say, a target and why these businesses are high risk, you know, typically criminals are looking for the biggest amount of reward with the least amount of risk. And the larger the reward gets, the more risk that they're usually willing to take in. With these cannabis locations, you know, a lot of them deal primarily in cash. There continue to be you know, restraints and regulations that come out that hamper or make uh, the use of credit card or debit card transactions uh, difficult. So as a result, the companies then wind up with large quantities of on-hand cash. And the procedures that are executed at the store level to control those cash levels, both where it's kept, you know, on the sales floor and in the back of house and in the vault and the types of equipment that they, they use uh, to store that becomes especially critical. You know, it, it helps, too, that uh, you have employees that understand their role in the store's safety and security procedures. And uh, how can their behavior uh, adjust to uh, the store level risks when you're facing critical incidents. You know, can, how, how can, can cannabis dispensaries be designed in a way that, that are going to implement proactive security measures while remaining welcoming uh, and inviting to the customers? You've touched on it a little bit, but you know, Jeff, kind of follow up on that. So they play a, a huge critical role. Their execution of the the policies that that the dispensary puts in place become important in minimizing and mitigating any future risks. So, you know, we we talk about uh, one of the number one issues that I see right now in the cannabis industry is just the store level training, ensuring that employees understand how to react to a critical incident and how their behavior, how they're greeting the customers on the sales floor, how they're, you know, being aware of their surroundings, reporting, you know, equipment or loitering or those things, those all impact the perception of the viability of the target of that particular location. So by spending, you know, retailers today traditionally are having huge issues finding and retaining good help. 
in through proper training and investing back in those employees and showing them that they matter, it ensures that these employees stay long term, that they operate the way that the company is asking them to operate and they continue to impact overall profitability. Great, great response on that. Tony, uh, you know, it, it, it helps to have employees that develop immediate and instinctual reactions to potentially stressful and dangerous situations that could impact themselves, the customers that may be in the store and, and the overall company itself. And, you know, no place more important is that. And then in a uh, in a cannabis facility where you're dealing with uh, a high volume of, uh, I guess, uh, various types of customers. Uh, but you have to have you have to ensure that you've got the correct employees uh, to begin with. So every security plan should start with a pre-employment background screening and a vetting process uh, in the, in, in the, uh, in the uh, hopes of getting that, that employee that's going to be able to uh, uh, emulate uh, the type of employee you're looking at this very special location. Uh, realizing that most states require potential employees to submit to fingerprint-based state and federal criminal records checks, can you explain a little bit why this is so important and why it sets the stage for all the other security and risk frameworks that a cannabis dispensary or a growth facility uh, may want to establish? Uh, sure. So uh, one of the programs that we have developed over the last 20-something years is called the Culture of Honesty. And and what we uh, developed for these retail locations is designing a system that will develop this culture where everyone there that works there has a, a, has a desire to do the right thing, to be honest. We, we're not trying to change people's mentalities outside the store, but inside the store, taking that ownership. And that starts from the beginning. Like you said, vetting that individual, making sure they pass the background check. Some states require them to go through to get a, to get a badge to be able to operate in their cannabis store in that state. Some do not. But having that initial... Uh, uh, screening process where you're not only not only are you your desire of course is to bring in someone who's going to be honest and uh, in, in what in their transactions and and not try and steal but a majority of the people you would bring in are honest you know you the vetting process would screen that out background checks or whatever the screening process would be but the the key is actually bringing in somebody that would fit into that culture of honesty process and you know we we call it the broken window theory uh uh that we you know we 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 aspire to and uh, um and that uh, uh where if you walk by a uh, location and the window is broken and, the, and, the, and there's trash every which way, you have a, a different view of that location. Where if the you know the it's clean and it's trimmed up and graffiti's gone and the trash is cleaned up, you're going to be acting much different in there. You know it, it, it's the walking down the the hallways of your office and there's a napkin on the floor. You know, you don't pick up that napkin. Well, after a while, there's going to be more than one napkin on that floor. But you pick it up, it's going to be, people are going to be less likely to drop that napkin. And that's what that vetting process should be. You should not only be, you, you know, uh, retail's tough. You know, the, uh, we've been uh, doing this for so many years and 
it's the warm body theory sometimes. But, you know, that that's a very difficult thing to manage, you know, a warm body where maybe you spend a little time and you vet that person properly and make sure you have the right people who then in turn are there as a, as a, a point of reference for the new people that come on board. That's uh, it's an interesting point, too. And, uh, you know, anytime that you have, uh, you know, a uh, framework of training and, uh, and uh, safety and security procedures that your employees can embrace and understand, it certainly makes them feel like they're part of the company. And actually, you know, that's a, that's a big deal in today's business society. But um, is there anything you want to expand on on why uh, training up your cannabis retail employees uh, is a little different and a little more, uh, uh, I guess, intense than it would be in a conventional retail space? Okay. Well, let's talk about, you know, working in a cannabis store. You know, most, and I stress that word, most of us uh, in, in the world today have not been a victim of an armed robbery or a burglary. And when you work in a high-risk business, the potential for that type of event to happen increases. And as an individual, we don't know how we're going to respond the first time you're staring down a weapon in the hands of another individual who you are unfamiliar with. We don't know. And there are certain things that can happen. You know, the human fight or flight response kicks in. And if you freeze or if you panic, these are all detrimental acts that could have a significant impact on how that particular event ultimately shapes out. And by spending time investing over and over again, these here's how you handle a robbery, here's how you handle a burglary, what you try to do is create this mental muscle memory where they've heard it enough times that the minute they're put in that situation, that instinctual, okay, my first step is to lock the door, second step is to call 911, third step is to see if everyone's okay. They just know, they've heard it enough times, they've gone over it and over it so many times that they, they just know this is how I have to respond, even though their brain may be partially disconnected because of the anxiety and, you know, the nerves and the, all the other different, you know, myriad of emotions that are rushing into them. That's interesting because it almost sounds like the same uh, protocols that you go through for active shooter training. So it's, uh, you know, that, that rote muscle memory and, and instinctual behavior and situational awareness. Uh, talk a little bit about, since we're on this subject, uh, about uh, employees reacting and, and understanding uh, in, a, in, in a volatile, potentially dangerous situation. Uh, what is the relationship between most dispensaries, uh, you know, since they're not clustered like retail stores are usually one-offs uh, in, in, in areas uh, throughout a city or, or a township, uh, how do they put together plans for uh, working with uh, first responders and local law enforcement? Is there, is there, a, is there an actual uh, set of drills and protocols put together that the uh, dispensaries work with law enforcement and first responders to uh, ensure the safety of both staff and customers? Well, I was going to say it, it, there, there can be. And in a lot of the, the dispensaries that we design, we actually install 
there's devices called knock boxes where uh, first responders are provided keys and the ability to access the building. Uh, a number of the dispensaries and, and things that, that we also are involved with, uh, we will partner with them during their presentations to the county council. Uh, we've been known to contact uh, local law enforcement and provide them with the ability to remotely access the video surveillance systems uh, in the buildings. I mean, overall, I would say it's generally it's up to the client or in some instances, the state regulatory, uh, excuse me, state regulations. <clears throat> but yeah, we, we try to make sure that everyone understands the importance of that involvement. You know, there's nothing better in this business than transparency so that any of the regulatory commissions or the law enforcement uh, individuals that necessarily, you know, that need access to that information can have it. And then employees understand that, you know, they're here, they're there to help just like everybody else is. You know, and you, you know, talking of what Jeff brought up some great points, you know, a lot of our uh, local towns, um, you know, want to have that comfort zone if something happens. And we do, like Jeff said, give the, the uh, law enforcement access to the video. They can watch it at any, any given time they want. We'll give them floor plan designs of, uh, of, of the location. And we've even allowed uh, them to come in and do practicing, you know, where maybe the, they have a SWAT team that'll come in and, and actually come to the location prior to opening and do a walkthrough over to police. And, and, and as Jeff, I think, you know, uh, uh, is mentioning it's the it's the communication with local law enforcement or local uh, first responders uh, prior to the incident that's that's very much a, a key factor and uh, and and we've had some great successes with that a, a very much of a good comfort zone of them uh, feeling engaged with the, the this new industry this new business in their town. Let's let's kind of take a different approach to this too, because I, 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 I would imagine that in a uh, uh, a retail setting such as this, that uh, ha- has just probably more temptations than uh, you know f- six different kinds of licorice to a six year old uh, in a candy store. That you really got to be on your toes if you're a, a, an owner uh, for potential uh, internal. Uh, uh, threats. And, uh, you know, when you look at dispensaries and retailers in general, I mean, a lot of focus for security is the point of sales. Video cameras are covering cash registers, uh, you know, uh, almost ubiquitously now and incorporating additional technologies such as sound, AI, and other sorts of uh, business intelligence analytics that help uh, overall systems not only uh, record things, but uh, store things for uh, store events for forensic review. So it's a real proactive tool. Uh, and operators and loss prevention staff on both cannabis and retail are going to monitor and review for red flag transactions in order to identify likely sources of shrink. Uh, how common uh, are you? How common is, is the point of sale uh, installations now? And uh, are dispensaries using this to help with shrink uh, uh, and and any type of maybe back office cash theft? You know, I, I believe, uh, 
the technology uh, has increased, and we see it in, in any part of life, but especially in the security industry. Uh, you know, we have clients currently now that have a point of sale system that's linked to a, to the camera system, uh, which allow us to pull up a transaction from the point of sale system and then go straight to the video part of it without having to to hunt and, and peck. And, you know, that brings me back to my days when I worked for, you know, Sears or Macy's where in order for me to find a transaction, I would have to find the transaction. I would have verified that that is the right transaction. Then I have to go to the video and I try to frame, you know, where that occurred and, you know, what would take me hours to do, we can do now in minutes. Uh, and that that's a key sending that message to the employees that there is that video capability. You know, there are camera systems that can track uh, a, a particular item. Let's say there's a, uh, uh, it's a very, very high end and there's a, you know, some of these bongs that they sell and some of these, they're $10,000, you know, they're, they're, they're diamond rings in other stores. You could track that, you know, and, and make sure that, uh, you know, wherever that moves, the camera system follows that and all that. And all of that technology is, is, is a great tool to have. But again, that's a reactive tool to have because now you're saying something bad has occurred. I'm going to go look at this technology, this video camera or whatever, the access control. What's the key, and going back to that culture of honesty discussion, is making sure that the employees know that you have that ability to use. And where that's really where we feel the best bang for the buck. You know, uh, Just like any other retail business, 80 to 90% right. of your losses are internal. And, it, and and especially in the cannabis industry, because the state mandates such a high level of security that you know you would never see this level of security mandated by the by in a jewelry store or 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 a pawn shop or a liquor store, a convenience store, or any of the other similar industries as as a cannabis store. So. Even if the owner didn't want to do them, he's mandated to do that. So that high level of security alone is, is key, and we still have eighty percent wow. internal losses. That's that's amazing. Hey, I'm still trying to get beyond uh, your your description of a ten thousand dollar bong. I, I want I want to see what one of those look like. <laughs> uh, you know, but when you look at a security plan that's you know just using the minimum technology and operational procedures to meet compliant. Re- Compliance requirements with regulations, uh, I think you said it once, should not be mistaken as a security plan designed to protect the people and property within a cannabis facility. So, you know, let's kind of briefly discuss the difference of just enough to comply and and what is truly mitigating risk. Je- uh, Jeff, you want to jump on that for a second? Actually, I was going to push that one. Tony, you want to handle that one? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I think I think the key to that is really, you know, and, and I think, uh, you know, uh, uh, thanks, Jeff, for for pushing to me. But really, you are the heading this up, and that's what we call we do these on-site risk assessments. We'll all come out to the location, and we'll review the security of that. You know, it's interesting as you look at the cannabis industry. It started out in the West, California, Colorado, Oregon, Washington, and and it migrated to the East. And now, you know, we see it in New York, New Jersey. A lot of what Jeff and his team do are these on-site risk assessments 
of the security, and it's on the West Coast, not the East Coast, because a lot of the West Coast, like you said, when they started 10 years ago or so, 10, 15 years ago, the security was not at the level of requirements as you would see in a Massachusetts, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, you know, markets, Florida market. Um, it was less, and the minimums were okay. You know, the very poor safes were being used compared to what you would see on the East Coast, or very poor camera usage would. And the reason why we're getting so many calls from these states is the margins are not where they thought they would be. The sales may still be there, but they're not making the money because they're having losses and they're trying to identify where these losses are occurring because they never really looked at that. You know, they, uh, the, you know, the industry was very small and, you know, they were, they were making a lot of sales. And what we're finding is because of poor camera placement or bad access control or very weak, uh, you know, uh, Walmart, Costco types of safes being purchased on the West Coast, there's more security needs right now than there are on the East Coast, which you would, you would think it would be the exact opposite. So if, if, if I can then just go ahead and expand on that, it, it, it's all about the evolution. You know, as Tony mentioned, the, the, the West Coast to East Coast disparity. And when, when we get called out and we go and we assess these buildings, a lot of the clients that we've seen who felt that they did a good job by meeting, you know, the state regulated compliance. Well, it says I have to have a camera here, here, and here. It says I have to have an access control here, here, and here. And we don't understand why we're still having these issues. And it goes back to a lot of this, this physical equipment that we've got, as Tony mentioned earlier, is very, it's very reactive. You know, I've, I've got a saying that if you're expecting your cameras, you know, to stop your employee theft, then you're failing. It's a very reactive, at that point, it's already happened. It's how do you turn all of this into proactive and stop it from happening? And we've talked on a number of those topics earlier on the podcast about the necessary for appropriate hiring and training and all of that. But the, the, the flip side of that is, you know, every year we recommend dispensaries take a look at how they are operating, the equipment that they're using, how has technology changed, how can they use technological advancement? How can they use updated, you know, uh, IT possibilities? How can they use all of this to help better their overall operations? Ultimately, their net profit, how they take care of their employees, how they take care of their customers, etc. So it will continue to evolve. And it's something that I think every business needs to look at, you know, at least once a year and say, where are we at? Are we operating the way that we're supposed to be? And if not, how do we fix it and, and how quickly can we get it fixed? You know, uh, chiming in a little bit what Jeff was just saying, it, it's, and I definitely am a big believer in the, in the advancement of tech, security technology and the advantages of that. But, you know, it's that second set of eyes, those, eye, you know, the people who have never been there, you know, Jeff just came back from doing a, a California visit uh, and, uh, you know, they're, they're, losses were high at one of the locations and the bathroom window opened you know you could just open the bathroom window and throw a bag out 
you know, and that's not that's not a technology thing. I mean, you know, obviously maybe if there was an access control or uh, a sensor on the window, but you know, it's those little things sometimes too that, uh, in conjunction with technology, in conjunction with communication, you know, uh, the opening and closing procedures, you know, were were very poor, and the exposure was there. You know, never did a bag check of employees leaving the location. Um, you know, and never communicating that that they could do a bag check. So a lot of what we see. Uh, you know, and again, we're learning a lot from the West Coast that we hope to bring to the East Coast in time because uh, because the East Coast are just opening. The majority of them haven't been open more than a few years, if even at open at all, is still that basic retail security 101. It's just, you know, it, it goes back to some common tools that we've learned over the last 50 years of run, you know or 100 years of running retail businesses that may not the owner may have forgotten to use or just did not realize to use and technology will just enhance that knowledge but they still have to have that knowledge things seem to be moving a lot more slowly as the government has gotten a little more conservative uh, what do you think the future timeline is to this being a nationwide industry, uh, therefore opening this up to, you know, systems integrators, more manufacturers uh, to step in and play a role in security and risk mitigation, who maybe have now not been real anxious to get in because of uh, the legal you know, heebie-jeebies they're worried about. Um, Jeff, I'll be interested. I'm going to pass it to you, and then I want, want to see what your take, and then I'll, I'll relay mine. What, what, what's, your, what's your feel on that, Jeff? Where do you think the industry is going to be? So, so I have to laugh. There, there's a story that we have um, <clears throat> back when Sapphire Risk was still young. Uh, we had a client who had come to us who had literally drawn up the floor plan of their dispensary on a napkin with his buddy at a bar over a couple of beers. And they came to us and said, okay, we want to open this. How can you help us? And now, you know, you take a look at the cannabis industry and it's it's a lot more formal. Uh, you're continuing to see certain states open and push legislation uh, in order to legalize it, you know, whether... Uh, recreationally or medicinally, you know, there's there's new states opening this year. There will be more new states opening this year. Kentucky's pushing to open, North Carolina, etc. cetera. Uh, I, I think that probably we're about 10 years. You know, my estimate is we're probably 10 years away from state. I don't know if I ever see the federal government getting involved. I think they'll probably relegate it back to the states. Uh, similar with abortion. It'll be a, a topic that they kind of want to keep hands off. They may change the schedule classification of cannabis, you know, from a stage one or stage two to a stage three. I understand, in fact, right now that there's some legislation working on that. Um, but I don't necessarily know if I ever see the federal government getting involved in saying, you know, hey, uh, we're going to start taking control of this. I think they're going to leave that in the hands of the states. Tony, what's your thought? No, I got to agree with what you're saying, Jeff, in a lot of ways. And, and I look at other industries where the state is the key 
component. And I see the federal government relaxing maybe interstate commerce or something's of that nature. Banking, they've, they've kind of loosened up a lot on insurance. They've loosened up over the last 10 years that I've been doing this. But I see it kind of like the liquor industry, the liquor store industry. You can go to one state and you can buy liquor on a Sunday. You can, some states you can't buy it on Sunday. Some states you can go into a grocery store and buy beer and wine. Some states you can't buy beer and wine. And it's still, again, a federal federal legal product but you know you, some states you can't something you're really not allowed to go across state lines say with tobacco or things of that nature um, and that's where I see it settling where the states are going to have the authority uh, to either allow cannabis in their state Nebraska doesn't allow cannabis in their state right now Wyoming a couple other states some states may have a free a much easier way of entering in like Oklahoma is a very easy entering point some may be even some might be restrictive Massachusetts is a little more restrictive say than than uh, some other states some are emerging states like right now we do a lot of work in Minnesota all of, you know Minnesota is going to be legal in another year uh, and we get a lot of those kind of, well, what do I do? How do I run my business? Uh, and and what's factors that come into play? And, and and I think I agree with what you know with Jeff's observations is, I don't ever see. I see it being a state driven program, even even down to city and county programs. There's a lot of cities that are that do not allow cannabis, and then there's a lot of dry counties that do not allow alcohol. So. You know, uh, I see that's the way it's going to settle out. The interesting thing about, um, you know, we get a lot of calls. We, you know, we've worked with over 800 clients now in the in the last 10 years in 37 states, and and I can almost pick out the ones that are going to survive and the ones that are not going to survive simply because of the way they're looking at it or their mentality. You know, you call me up and we deal in security, but there's a lot of other. Uh, uh, red flags, as I call it. But if your conversation to me is, what's the cheapest way that I can open up my dispensary? Um, you're telling me, I really don't think I'm going to be in business for a very long period of time. My desire is maybe get in, get as much cash, have somebody buy me out. But I'm not really in it for the long haul because that's really not the way you need to look at it. Now, I'm not saying you, sh you should be spending a huge amount of money. You know, we get some people that come to us and go, you know, I want biometrics. I'm like, well, do you really want to spend money on biometric access control or do you want a proximity card? So there's a balancing act. And I think that that's the same balancing act you see in a jewelry store or a liquor store, a convenience store, a firearm store. And I think that's kind of where, as the industry matures, and you see it on the West Coast, a lot of cannabis facilities are struggling. I look at some of them and I go, yeah, but you should have been struggling a lot longer. You know, I see that in New York State right now where – you know, the, 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 it's not there. The, 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 there needs to be a more training and education to run a retail business. I think this is a great place to end this, and I want to thank uh, Tony Gallo, the managing partner for Sapphire Risk Advisory Group, and Jeff Bartley, the senior asset protection consultant with Sapphire, for being with us today. Uh, it's 
been a very interesting conversation. Uh, certainly, we're looking at uh, uh, topics that are cutting edge technology and also policy, and uh, we'll see where it goes. Uh, again, I want to remind everybody that uh, Tony will be on a panel that we're doing at ISC East on November 15th at the Javits Center. Uh, it's a roundtable breakfast hosted by Security Info Watch and SIA. And it will begin at 8 and run through 9.30 a.m. So, uh, again, my thanks to Tony and Jeff. John, I'll turn it back over to you as we uh, end today's podcast. Well, Steve, I want to thank you, Tony and Jeff, for this fantastic discussion about industry trends and technologies that are driving security, compliance, and retail loss issues in cannabis dispensaries. Just a reminder to our audience, this podcast is for you, so you can stay informed about trends in the security industry anytime, anywhere. To access our podcast lineup, go to podbean.com and search for Security DNA. You can also find our podcasts in our Security Frontline, Integrator Newswire, and Security Week e-newsletters. Of course, we'd love to get some feedback from you, our listeners, about topics you're interested in. If you have a suggestion, send an email to Steve Lasky, L-A-S-K-Y, at securityinfowatch.com. This episode of Security DNA Podcast was recorded and produced by John Doberstein, Managing Editor of Security InfoWatch. For Steve, Tony, and Jeff, and everyone here at Security InfoWatch, thanks for listening and stay safe out there wherever you may be.